Father, in Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord, for another time in your presence, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we listen to your word, we pray that your word will bring transformation. Lord, let your word impact our hearts. Let it impact our spirits. May we never recover from the impact of your word in our life this morning. May we understand the doctrine of righteousness, which is so important to our Christian lives. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, that for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ Jesus became the sacrifice, the one who knew no sin, the one who had committed no sin, the one who did not have the nature of sin. The Bible says God made him to become sin for us. Christ Jesus, in his conception, he did not take upon him the sin nature. He did not take upon him the nature of Adam. And so he was without sin. And when he lived his life here on earth, he did not walk in sin. He did not commit any sin. So the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin. So he had no sin at all in his life. The Bible says God made him sin for us. And so when Christ hung on the cross, the Bible says all our sins were imputed upon him. And so at the time when he was hanging on the cross, when God looked down, he saw the sins of men on Christ. He saw him as sin. So the Bible says that is the point where God made him sin for us. So that when we accept Jesus Christ, we become the righteousness of God. And so for the foundation, one thing that I want us to understand, even before we move on, is that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. So it's not that we are going to become righteous by the things that we do, by how many days of the week that we fast. I believe that I've established that as believers, fasting is important. But those things do not make us righteous. You can never become more righteous than you are the first day you accepted Jesus Christ. Because your righteousness is from Him. And so the day that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, the Bible says you became the righteousness of God. That is your identity. That is how God sees you. Anytime God looks down from heaven, He sees you as the righteous person. As the righteousness of God. That understanding is so important for us. In a world where people have made us believe religiously and people say every time, oh, that we are all sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We are all sinners. But the Bible tells us, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you are not a sinner. This understanding is so important. Sometimes out of humility, we want to say, oh, we are sinners. We are sinners. And God has had mercy on us. Yes, God has had mercy on us. Christ has paid the price for our sins. And so if you believe in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, when you are in Him, you are righteous. And so you cannot boast of your righteousness 
that as for me, I pray three times a day. As for me, I pray seven times a day. And so I'm righteous. No, your righteousness is because of what Christ has done. And so it's even more humbling to understand that you are righteous. And your righteousness is not because of the things you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And so which one is more humble when you say, oh, I'm a sinner? When God is saying, no, you are not a sinner. Your sins have been paid for. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, because of his righteousness, you are righteous. And so when you have the mindset that I am righteous, not because I have done good things. No. But because Jesus died for me and I believe in him, that action has made me righteous. This understanding is so important. Now, why do we even need righteousness? Why is it important for us to become righteous? When God created Adam and Eve, left them in the garden, left them with an instruction that, listen, you can eat of all the other trees, all the other things that are in the garden, but there is one tree, the knowledge of good, of of, of good and evil. That one you shall not eat from. The serpent came to deceive them. They disobeyed God. And the Bible says at the time they disobeyed God, sin entered into the world. And so when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they put on the nature of sin. So anyone who comes after the nature of Adam has that nature of sin. That is why it was important for Christ to die. Christ is like the reset button. When you buy, when you have a gadget, you buy, there are certain gadgets that you buy and probably some of the things in the gadget are not functioning properly. You press the reset button to take it back to the factory reset and you start from a new, whatever, like from a new sheet. At this point, whatever problem you were having has been erased and therefore you are starting anew. So Christ was the reset button to bring us back to God. So Adam and Eve were created in the presence of God. The reason why God created Adam and Eve was to have fellowship with them so that they will be his people, so that every time he can come to them and talk to them and have fellowship with them. But that fellowship was lost. When you read, um, I'm reading from Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field which God, which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you shall die. Verse 7, by who says, Then, I'm sorry, um, no, let me read from Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. It's every time the devil uses this same thing that, oh, God is deceiving you. God has placed you at a disadvantage. And so even wealthy people make such, such declarations about Christians, that Christians are not smart people, Christians are not intelligent. 
is the same thing the devil brought to, to the Adam and Eve. Says that for God knows in that day that you eat it, you, your eyes will be open. Meaning God is keeping something away from you. And that's how we feel sometimes. That God has denied a certain pleasures. God has denied because of our Christian faith. There are certain things, certain pleasures that we want, we want to partake. But we cannot partake of those things because of our faith. And we feel like God has deprived us of something. It's the deception, the same deception the enemy brought to Adam and to Eve. Say, God has denied you because God knows that if you eat, you become wise and you become like God. So then the Bible says in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree, one, the woman saw that the tree was pleasant for food. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eye and it was desirable to make one wise. Now take note, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. That is the last of the flesh. The woman is going to eat and then will be satisfied. Fill the flesh. The woman, again, the next thing, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the last of the eye. The woman saw that it was pleasant to the eye. And the final, the final one, it was desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit, ate. She took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her. And he also ate. And so the woman saw that the temptation that the enemy brought to the woman were three. First, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. And so it was going to fill the hunger of her flesh. Meanwhile, God had given her all things. But this particular fruit, she said that she saw that there were so many other things that she could have eaten. But she saw that the tree was good for food, the last of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. She saw it. It looked nice and she liked it. The last of the eye. And it was desirable to make one wise. The pride of life. So she took of it and she ate. Every temptation that the enemy will ever bring her away will fall under these three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. When the enemy came to test Jesus Christ, he brought the same temptation. Let me just keep to that story. And so the temptation that Adam and Eve failed, that they could not pass, this enemy brought the same thing to Jesus Christ. But Jesus was able to uh, overcome the temptation of the enemy using the word of God. So the enemy came to Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, said to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast. Now, verse 3, now the tempter came to him. He said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, the last of the flesh. The enemy, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. Jesus was fasting and needed food to eat. So the enemy came with the same temptation. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread, food, the last of the flesh. Now Jesus Christ said to the enemy, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed Jesus Christ the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The last of the eye. Jesus Christ saw all the kingdoms of this world. The 
Eve saw that the tree was good for food. And Jesus also saw the kingdoms of this world. Remember, God was going to give Jesus Christ a name that is above every other name. God was going to give Jesus Christ a kingdom that was above every other kingdom. And that kingdom was after Jesus had fully obeyed God. But the enemy said, I'm going to give it to you now. You don't have to obey God. Just go ahead, disobey. I'm going to give you everything you see right now. If you just bow down and worship me, which would have been disobedience to God. So the enemy showed Jesus Christ the last of the eye. He said, and Jesus, in verse 8, Jesus Christ said to him, Jesus said, I would, no, no, no. Then Jesus said, Away, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, and you shall serve. Then the, um, then, the devil left him, and behold, angels came to minister to him. I think I skipped one of the temptations. Right, so just verse 5. The devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the, pin- on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you, if you are the son of God, throw yourself, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you, lest you leave. Um, you dash your foot against a stone. So this was the this was the second one. I think I read the third one before the second one. And then Jesus said to him, Away, Satan, for it is written, you shall not no no no. I'm sorry, I don't know what's happening here. So the, the devil brought three temptations the way of Jesus Christ. He tempted him with food that he turned the stones to bread. He showed him the last of the eye. And then he promised him that he was going to give him everything. He was going to become the God of everything. That, at that point, that was the pride of life. He was going to be the Lord of everything. But Jesus Christ came against the devil with the word of God. And so when you read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all point tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you might say that there are things or temptations that you face that Jesus Christ did not face during his time. There are things that you go through that Jesus Christ did not have that opportunity or did not, at that point, at a time when Jesus lived, those things were not around. But the Bible says he was tempted at all points, yet without sin. And so when we look at sin, we look at sin in the details. Like, oh, drinking alcohol, smoking, or... Um, but God looks at it based on the categories. The last of the flesh, the last of the eye, and the pride of life. Every sin that you ever commit can be under one of these three. And so the Bible says Jesus Christ was tempted at all points, yet he was without sin. But this is the same temptation that Eve faced, Adam and Eve faced, and they could not overcome the enemy. And so... Still, I'm trying to explain why we need righteousness. I, 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 I'll stick to that point. So when they ate of the food, the Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. The presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Sorry. 
So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the, the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, gave it to me. She, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And so when they disobeyed God, it was not possible for them to continue to live in the garden that God had created because they had disobeyed God. And so when you read verse 22 to 24, the Bible says, the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us, not to know good and evil. Not that God didn't want man to know the difference between good and evil, but God was going to teach man. He was going to reveal to man by his own set of laws and by his own set of teachings, he was going to reveal that to man. But at this point, God did not want man to continue to live in that sinful state forever. He didn't want man to experience eternity in that fallen state. So the Bible says that he had to sack man from the garden that he had created. Now, somebody said that if there were two days in the Bible, that is, that is the most saddest day for God. Or the day that God was the most saddest or whatever. Then it was the day that he sacked man from the garden. That he removed man from the garden that he had created. That would have been the first day. The man that he, was, he created for fellowship. That was the reason why he created man. To have fellowship with him. And then man got into a state that it was impossible to continue to have that fellowship. One. Two. It was, he couldn't have allowed man to remain in that state. And so he had to remove man from the garden that he had created. This, I'm sure, wasn't a happy day at all in heaven. In the presence of all the angels. Knowing that God, one of the most precious things that he had created for himself, for his pleasure, to have fellowship and to have communion with. He had to remove that particular object from his presence. So the Bible says that he put an angel in the garden, removed man that he had created from the garden. And from that point on, by in verse 24, so he drove out man, he drove out the man, and placed a cherubim at the east of the garden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the tree of life. The tree of life was created for man. But in this state, God, man was not fit to partake of the tree of life. And so God had to remove him from the garden. This was not an exciting day in heaven. Everybody will see the heart of the father broken because the man that he had created, he had to remove man and deny man of his presence, deny man of the fellowship for the same reason why he created man. He had to deny man of that fellowship. And so God removed man from the garden. And when man was removed from the garden, the presence of God, the ability to go before God anytime and have communion, the image of God 
that God had impacted into man during creation. The Bible tells us that man was created in the image of God. Righteousness is one of the nature of God. God is righteous. God is holy. And he created man with that nature. But when sin entered into the world, when man disobeyed God, man was able to disobey God because God had given man a free will to decide. And when man disobeyed God and God removed him from the garden, he lost. That image was corrupted. That image was distorted by sin, by disobedience. And so the presence of God was lost in the garden and man was removed from that garden. And right from that time, God had a plan that he was going to restore man to the place where he can carry the presence of God again. From this point on, man could not carry the presence of God. God could not live in the life of a man. And so when God removed man from from the garden, the nature, the the image of God was distorted. And so that that created the need for the gift of righteousness to be given again unto man. So the sin of Adam created the need righteousness because that righteous nature that was given to us was distorted and so right from adam till now anyone who is born will need that righteousness restored and in romans chapter 5 the bible says therefore just like sin just as sin through one man sorry therefore just as through one man sin entered the world So it was through one man that sin entered the world and death through sin. And so from that time on, death was also introduced into the world. And thus death spread to all men. So from Adam, death spread to all men. From that just one man's action, sin entered the world and death also was introduced. Sin does not come alone. It comes with all the other things. Death, sickness, and all other things. So just like sin was introduced, death was also introduced. And death spread to all men because all sin. So what that means is that through Adam, all sin. Because Adam introduced sin, introduced death. And because of that, all people have become sinners. And all people now die. Death was also introduced. The Bible says, for until the law, sin was in the world. And so when people say that sin or morality is determined by society, that is not correct. People use that as an argument. But the Bible says that sin brought death. And so whether the society has rules or not, people still die. They feel the impact and the effect of sin. Without sin, there wouldn't have been death. And so this scripture is telling us that until the law, there was still sin in the world. And so even if a society does not set rules that determine their, the, what is morally right or wrong, there is still sin, even when the society has not determined that. And that is why I don't think society determines what is right or wrong. Because the effect of sin is present in that society, whether they determine right or wrong. I don't know if you understand the point I'm trying to make. So the Bible says, for until the law, 
sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So even though sin was not imputed when there is no law, still, it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Moses was the one who introduced the law. But without the introduction of the law, people were still dying, which was the effect of sin. So even though sin was not imputed at that time because there was no law, because people wouldn't have said that, okay, the law of Moses says do not do this, and so I will not do it. That is the law. But even when there was no law and sin was not imputed, the effect of sin was still present with them. So until Adam, from Adam to Moses, the Bible says death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who is to come. In, in the sub- subsequent days, I'm going to touch on Romans again. There's no way you can teach on um, righteousness without Romans. I'll take time to explain some of these things. But today, I just want to introduce righteousness and why we need righteousness. And so, the Bible is telling us that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even after the, the people who had not committed the same sin. Again, note something very important. The Bible says that... Um, let me read verse 14 again. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. And so Jesus Christ is also a type of Adam. So Adam was a type of Jesus Christ who was later going to come. And so through the sin of Adam, everyone became a sinner. And when you read this further, But the Bible says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For by one man's offense, many died. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which, sorry. And the gift is not like that which came through one man's sin. For the judgment came. For the judgment which came from one man offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now, a lot of people can easily accept that we are sinners because of the sin of Adam. But what most people find it difficult to accept, including religious people, is that we are righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we can easily accept the fact that we became sinners because of Adam, then those of us who believe must also, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, must be able to accept that we became righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so our righteousness is a free gift from God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you become righteous. Now, when people are born after the nature of Adam, they are sinners. And because of the identity of sinners, they leave that out. They leave out the life of sin. And so people, because of the nature of Adam, when sin was introduced, now death came and people began to kill one another. And so you see Adam's, um, Cain and Abel, and you see Cain kill his brother. They were living after that nature of sin that they had received from their father. And all through the world, you see that when people are born, they, without the gospel, people will live after that nature, the nature of Adam. 
live and practice sin because that is the nature they have received. So automatically, they live according to that nature. So once you accept Jesus Christ and you become righteous, then you have to live according to that nature. And so by practicing righteous deeds, it does not make you righteous, but you are living the life that you have already received from Jesus Christ. Is that, is that clear? You see, when we teach about the, 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 um, the doctrine of righteousness, then people will say, oh, then what I do does not matter. But that is not what the doctrine of righteousness teaches. The doctrine of righteousness tells you who you are. And because of who you are, that should determine how you live your life. So you are, not, you are not saying I'm a sinner. If you're saying that you're a sinner, then you can leave that nature because you have already accepted that you're a sinner. But if you understand that by believing in Jesus Christ, you are no more a sinner, but you are righteous, then you must live after the righteous nature because you cannot say that you are righteous and live your life like a sinner. If you declare that I am righteous, you must live your life like what? somebody who is righteous. I'm thinking about a good example to give. I, I, I. Like you have an identity that this is my identity. You cannot live against that identity. And so by accepting the gift of righteousness and by believing that through Jesus Christ you are righteous, you must live your life like somebody who has received the gift of righteousness. So the Bible says through the sin of Adam, we all became sinners. Through the righteous deed of Jesus Christ, we all became righteous. Those who believe. And so you are righteous. You are not a sinner. Anytime Paul was addressing the church, he never called them sinners. Look at every letter that Paul wrote to the church. There was no one point that he called them sinners. Look at the letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. Every time, that is what I use as my example. Because Paul was going to address very serious issues in the Corinthian church. There were things that were going on in the Corinthian church that did not conform to the new nature that they had received. But look at how Paul addressed them. He says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified. He was going to talk about a father, a son sleeping with his father's wife. He was going to talk about masters who are maltreating their servant. He was going to talk about all those things that were going on in the church that were not right. But look at how he addressed them. He said they are sanctified. And he said they are called to be saints. That is their identity. He reminded them of their identity. And that is why when you condemn people, it does not change those people. But reminding them of their identity is what brings change. When a believer falls, when somebody falls into sin, that is not a time to condemn the person. It's not a time to destroy the person further. It is a time to approach the person and remind the person of their identity. And so whenever you read all the books that Paul wrote to the churches, there was no time that he called them sinners. The book of Ephesians. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So he was writing to the church. And how did he call the church? He said they were saints. In our world, we reserve the saints for some people who have done special good deeds. And we call them Saint Stephen, Saint something. But Paul was writing to 
the churches in Ephesus and he says to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. And so when you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. You are righteous. And that is why our anchor scripture for today says that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. Let's not have the mindset that I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm a sinner. There are some of the songs that will not help us come out of that mindset. Oh, I'm a sinner. There are songs that let us say, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. We are not sinners. Amen. Amen. And I'm not being... I'm not being boastful. I'm not being arrogant when I say I'm not a sinner. But the Bible says that I'm not a sinner. So I'm saying what the Bible says. The Bible says, I am the righteousness of God. And I accept that identity. I'm not accepting any other identity. And some people use the, 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 the writings of Paul. That Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some people use that. But that is why we must understand the context of what Paul was writing. I'm going to touch on that before we finish this series. Paul was, the, the, the Jewish people at that time thought they were better than the Gentiles. And so Paul was trying to tell them, look, you Jewish people and Gentiles, we are all the same. We have all been classified under sin. We are all sinners and none of us is better than the other person. But through Jesus Christ, we receive the free gift of righteousness. And so we are not supposed to take that verse out of context and say that we are all sinners. Paul was making a case to point out to the, um, the Jewish people that you are not better than the Gentiles. Because you are Abraham's seed. But Bible tells us, even he, he refers them back to the, the Old Testament and says the Old Covenant has classified all of us under sin. And so Paul was not saying that the new bill, the person who has come to believe in Jesus Christ is a sinner. That's not what Paul is saying. So the person who has come to believe Jesus Christ is not a sinner. Amen. I want us to understand this. Once you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, don't call yourself a sinner. You are not a sinner. Some religious people will make you feel that, oh, you still have to call yourself a sinner so that you can receive the mercy of God. No, we have already received that mercy. Jesus Christ died. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, it is finished, what that meant was paid in full. It means he had paid the penalty of our sins in full. He has paid the, the price for our sins in full. There is no price left for us to pay by the good deeds that we do. So it's not like Jesus Christ made part payment and by our lifestyle we are making the rest of the payments. No. Jesus Christ said it is paid in full. The price for our sins has been paid in full. So if the price of our sins have been paid in full, why then do we still call ourselves or pride ourselves or present ourselves as humble people by calling ourselves sinners? I would rather say what the Bible says about me. I am not a sinner. When you wake up in the morning, don't think that you are a sinner. Oh, God, you know that all of us are sinners. You know, people pray like that, all of us are sinners. And we cannot, no, all of us are not sinners. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are righteous. That is what the Bible says. 
We are the righteousness of God. Bible says, for God made him who knew no sin. It's not saying, for God is going to make him. He says, God has made him already who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are the righteousness of God. Amen. It is important that we understand this. I might not be able to finish today because of time. But I'm going to take my time to explain this. The doctrine of righteousness is so important and has to be understood. Because once you understand the doctrine of righteousness, you don't even play with sin anymore. Sin is not like, it's not like oh, I'm a Christian who is struggling to overcome sin. I'm a Christian who is, um, who is helpless when it comes to sin. No. We have, Jesus has won the victory for us over sin. And we must live the victorious life. We must live like people who, has been, who have been set free from the bondage of sin. In Galatians, Paul had an issue with Peter. When Peter came to the church in Galatians, he was living and having fellowship with them. But when the Jewish people came, Peter started separating himself from the church. And so Paul was not happy. So Paul confronted Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, Now when Peter, came, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men, men came from James, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so when the men were sent from Jerusalem to, to Antioch, and Peter was already there in Antioch. Paul said he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. At this point, one of the main issues of contention was that the Gentiles who had come to believe had to be circumcised before they can call themselves people of God. And so the Jewish believers wanted to force the Gentiles to observe the law before they can become part of the people of God. And Paul was preaching against that. And so when Peter came to Paul, he was having fellowship with them. Because at this point, before Jesus Christ came, the Gentiles had no fellowship with uh, uh, the, the Jewish people because the Jewish people saw themselves as God's people they were the holy people the people who had been sanctified and so they saw all other people as unclean and unless you convert and come into Judaism to them you were unclean and so Peter was eating with them having fellowship with them but when people came from Jerusalem to Antioch Peter started separating himself from the Gentiles. And Paul was not happy about that. So Peter separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Can you see how sometimes we fear men and we are not able to do the right thing because of men? Paul was, this is Peter. Again, this is the apostle, the leader of the church. (laughs) Some people call him the first pope. (laughs) And he was not behaving properly. Because of the fear of men, may God set us free from the fear of men so that we will not just conform because we men want us to look a certain way. So Peter separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Because Peter was a leader and he was not he was behaving hypocritically, all the others followed him. 
and they were behaving after the, the other Jewish people were also following what Peter was doing. So that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy. But when I saw, this is Paul. Um, verse 17, verse 18. No. I'm sorry. Um, right. So verse 15. Verse 14. Sorry. I'm not sure what's... Oh, okay, okay. Some of this... Okay, right. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, if you being a Jew live in manner of the Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compare the... The Gentiles to leave as Jews. Um, let me just cut this short here. We'll continue next week. Verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the Lord died to the Lord that I might lead to God. Next week we are going to start from here. Because I, I just want to wrap up now. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness come through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul is saying that if righteousness is through the things that we do, then the death of Jesus Christ was useless. If we are going to become righteous by fasting for 21 days or 40 days, if we are going to become righteous, but not ever saying anything wrong. Always saying the right thing. If we are going to become righteous by not doing anything wrong and being good. Paul is saying that if righteousness comes through the deeds of the law, then the death of Jesus Christ was in vain. If we are going to be declared righteous, or righteous because of our deeds, then the death of Jesus Christ was in vain. But we are declared righteous because of the death of Jesus Christ. And so know that you are righteous. We are going to go deeper next week. We will start from this place and then we will continue next week. Amen. Amen. So I just want us to thank God for our righteousness. Our righteousness is from God. He is our righteousness. Let's just thank God right now. Let's just begin to pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of righteousness. We are not sinners. We are not sinful people. You have made us righteous. We thank you that we are saints. We are holy. Father, we thank you for the price that was paid for us. Oh, God, we give you all the glory. We bless your holy name. The death of Jesus Christ is not in vain. We are righteous. We are holy. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the blood that was shed. For the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. We thank you, Father. We give you praise. We bless your holy name in the name of Jesus. We are righteous. We are holy. Yes, Lord, we give you praise. We are the righteousness of God. We are not sinners. We are sanctified. We are holy in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we bless you. We thank you for making us righteous. In Jesus' name, amen.